You know, judgment is a subject that uh, not too many people want to talk about, but uh, we're told in the Bible that uh, it's given for all men to die, men and women, and after that, the judgment. So it talks about that judgment, but I want to talk about a different judgment today, a judgment for the church. And there's a scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 that is confusing to a lot of people. Peter, in writing this epistle, says, 1 Peter 4 verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So what, what is this judgment on the church, judgment on the family of God that he's talking about? Now, if we're saved by grace, and we are, what type of judgment are we facing in this life today as children of God? Well, to understand this, let's for a moment go back to basics. Let's go back to the basics to remind ourselves of what God's Word teaches us about our salvation. Now we know in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll turn there, Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 8, and this is certainly a verse that we should all know. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. So our salvation comes from grace. It is a free gift from God. We all know that we're sinners. We all know that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But God has done that through his grace, which is a free gift for us. Also, in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul writes, Ephesians 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And we are that through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. So yeah, we're saved by grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves in Jesus. Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So just as a reminder, when it comes to salvation, we're saved by grace. We're saved by the love of God. In Jesus, we have redemption. He's bought us back from the death penalty. And we have forgiveness of sins. So that Paul can say in one other place, Romans 8, verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. 
Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful statement, and it's true, and we have faith in that. Our sins are forgiven. All of the work necessary for our salvation has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, we're to believe. We're to have faith in that. We're to have trust in that. So, back to 1 Peter. What is Peter talking about when he says that there's now judgment on the church? Judgment here and now is taking place on the church. He's not talking about judgment for the purpose of salvation. Because that has already been accomplished, not by our efforts, but by the efforts of Jesus Christ. So we're not being judged now to see if we're worthy enough to go to heaven. None of us are worthy to go to heaven. We're going there because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Jesus was our substitute on the cross. We know that. He was punished for all of our sins. That judgment on us is now complete. Jesus doesn't have to do anything more on our behalf. He's already accomplished it all. So what is the judgment that Peter is referring to here when he says judgment has now begun on the church? Well, let's turn back to 1 Peter. First Peter uh, chapter 1. When we read the context of this chapter to see what kind of judgment we're undergoing right now, the judgment that Peter refers to here is for the purpose of purifying our faith. Okay, all of the work for our salvation has been accomplished by Jesus. Now what is still required is our faith in that. We need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We need to believe that he died on the cross, not just for the sins of the whole world, as the Bible says, but for our individual sins, okay? And we need to have faith and trust in God. Notice what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 6. He says, in this... You greatly rejoice, talking about our salvation, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined in fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So now we're starting to understand what this judgment is all about. Like I said, it's not whether we're sinners or not. We know that we are. It's not whether or not we're worthy enough to go to heaven. None of us is worthy. Only by the grace of God will we be there. But it has to do with our faith and our belief. It's a testing of our faith. It has nothing to do with whether we're good enough or not to be saved or to go to heaven. It's about our faith and our belief. And as Peter explains here, that we now in this life are suffering through trials of one sort or another. Now we all face different situations in our life. 
Some have physical health problems. That's their trial. Some face persecution for their beliefs. Uh, some face trials of all sorts, relationship problems, financial problems, whatever the case may be. We're facing trials, and the purpose of these trials is meant to test our faith in God. It's meant to draw us to trust God more deeply. That's why we have trials in our lives. It's not because God is not aware of what's happening in our life. It's not because God is just purposely trying to punish us. We're being tested whether our reliance is going to be on God or if we're going to try to solve our own problems strictly by ourselves. So the reason we're going through trials, they're purifying our faith. And that's what this judgment is all about now. God looks at our faith. He analyzes our faith. And you know what? From time to time, he determines it's time for us to be tested or it's time for us to go through a trial. Why? To increase our faith, to draw us closer to God. You know, it's very easy to have faith when everything is roses in your life. You know, when everything is going perfectly, when everything is happy, nothing negative in your life, it's very easy to say, well, I believe in God, I trust in God, I rely on God and everything. But once trials hit and we start to have medical problems, we start to have financial problems or relational problems of one sort or another, now, this is where the rubber meets the road, as they used to say. This is a trial, this is a test of our faith to see how close we are to God. And when we're going through a trial, that's the time to be closer to God if we haven't been before. It's to be more involved in prayer. It's more involved in study to see you know, why this is happening and what's God's purpose for it. Well, Peter just explained the purpose of trials. It's to test our faith. You know, you should find out that when you go through a trial and when you finish coming through it, you're closer to God than you used to be Amen. when things were going just great in your life. So when trials come, don't get bitter. Don't blame God. Don't get into a bad attitude about it or question your faith. Satan puts those thoughts in your mind. When we endure a trial, it's meant to bring us closer to God. It's a test of our faith, and God wants our faith to grow. He wants it to be stronger, looking to him. So God values our faith so much that he's willing to allow us to experience great suffering in our life to help us grow fully dependent on him. I've explained this before that in this life, in this human life, when we're very young, we're very dependent on our parents. And then when we grow up, what we want is independence. We don't wanna to have to rely on our parents. We wanna be our own person and be successful as our own person, to be independent. But in Christianity, it's totally different. We are growing to become more dependent on God. Amen. So it's the exact opposite of what we experience in our physical life. 
God wants us to rely on him, to come to him with all of our problems, not only come to him with our problems, but to come to him when times are good and to just thank him and to praise him for our situation in life. So God is willing to allow his dearly loved children to suffer under his judgment, so we can call it his judgment, as he looks at our faith. And he is the one in control of our lives. And when he sees we need to grow in faith, he's going to present the opportunity for that faith to grow. So we need to praise him for that. And we also need to be joyful about that, the Bible tells us, because we sense that God is involved in our life. You know, a lot of times when we have trials, we think, well, where is God? Why did he let this happen? How can I believe in a God that would let this happen in my life? The exact opposite is true. The Bible teaches us that when we endure trials, we should be joyful because we sense that this is God testing us and judging us and helping us along in our faith. Faith is so important. Remember what Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Because he came in contact with so many people who didn't believe him, didn't believe he was the Son of God, didn't believe he was the Messiah, and put no trust in him at all. So Jesus asked that question. Now he's gonna find faith in our lives not because of our own doing, because God is there guiding us along in our faith, presenting opportunities for us to grow in faith. So don't get into a bad attitude over trials. And he went on to say in that first passage that we read, that those who fully reject faith in Jesus, they decline the gospel, they're going to experience, experience far worse things than we are in our lives. Because they're going through terrible trials with no hope. But we see God in the picture, and we grow to rely more on him. You know, in the case of Job, you remember the story of Job, a guy just kind of going along in life. He had a big family. He had a lot of good things in his life. And one day, Satan comes before God and says, why do you like this guy, Job? You know, he worships you only, you know, for the things he can get out of life, only because you're blessing him. So Satan said, if you take the blessings away, he's going to curse you. So Satan was allowed by God to take away all of the good things that Job had. Family members died. His cattle died, his sheep died, his house was destroyed. You remember the story. So in his case, it wasn't God doing all these nasty things to him. It was Satan. God had to allow it. So you know what? When, when bad things happen to us and we go through trials, don't always put the blame on God. I think in a lot of cases, it's Satan who is chomping at the bit to want to punish God's people, to hurt us, to kill us, whatever he can do. But his actions are limited to what God allows. So I wonder sometimes if similar conversations between Satan and God happen concerning us. That Satan would just like to get his hands on us. Remember one time Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan would like to sift you like wheat. But he can only do what God allows. So from time to time, God says, okay, I'll let you do this and that to them. 
And Satan doesn't understand that it's actually a test for our benefit to increase our faith in God. So don't be quick to blame God for negative things that happen to us. And furthermore, sometimes our suffering is due to bad decisions we make. So again, you can't blame God. God allows it. We have freedom to screw our lives up if we want to. You know, to take, uh, I told the story about some people that my wife knew. All the husbands got together and went to Las Vegas to gamble, which is a stupid idea to begin with because the odds are all against you. And they lost tens of thousands of dollars. I think one guy ended up putting $40,000 on his credit card. All the money that he lost at Las Vegas gambling. Can you imagine what that was like when he came home and had to explain to his wife? <laughs> I wonder if he's still alive. I don't know. But suffering. You know, we're quick to blame God. God, how can you let this happen? As I said, sometimes our suffering is due to our own bad decisions, and God allows us to suffer the consequences of those bad decisions sometimes. He doesn't intervene all the time and stop, you know. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of our own personal sins. You know, marriages go to divorce because of sins or mistakes that are made. The sins can be forgiven, but the consequences can still remain. Sometimes we suffer because of the natural order of things. You know, maybe cancer runs in your family. Your grandmother had it, your mother had it, and all of a sudden you hear the doctor report that you have it too. We are affected ne negatively sometimes just by living in a fallen world. Somebody else is breaking laws and speeding and slams his or her car into yours. So there are many ways that we can suffer and face trials. And sometimes, as I said earlier, it's just persecution. Somebody attacks you because they don't like Christians and they don't like God. And, uh, you know, there it is. You're suffering for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. So what are we talking about here when Peter talks about judgment is now on the church? It has nothing to do with judgment for our salvation. We are saved in Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Nothing can change that. Nobody can take us out of God's hand, the scripture says. Nothing. Not even ourselves. We can't even take ourselves out of God's hand. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Since our salvation is secure in Jesus, God is now purifying our faith and our trust in him. How does he do it? Through trials. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Again, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's already been accomplished, okay? That's already done by the work of Jesus Christ and the grace given to us. So talking about Jesus, verse uh, 5, who, through faith, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So trials really are a, a means of rejoicing. Verse 7, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So since our salvation is secure, God is purifying our faith and our trust in him through trials. And our present suffering contributes to future glory for us. Amen. Even when we suffer, we are, con should continue to trust in God. Second, let's turn to 2 Peter for one verse here. 2 Peter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle to Jesus Christ, to those, speaking to the church members, to those who through the righteousness of our Lord, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. So notice here that faith is a gift. Faith isn't something that we work up somehow on our own, like a bodybuilder, you know, pumping iron to build up his or her muscles. Faith is a gift. Again, he says, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So when you accept Jesus as your Savior, among the gifts that you are given through the Holy Spirit is faith. Amen. Now, once that faith has been given to us, God wants that faith to grow and develop and mature. And once again, God gives us the opportunities through trials for that faith to be exercised in our lives. Amen. When everything is going great in your life, your faith isn't being exercised. <laughs> but when things start to go bad, who do you turn to? If you turn to God and put your trust in him and continue to pray to him, Lord, save me from this trial. And even if the trial goes on and endures, Father, no matter, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm keeping my trust in you. And even if this trial is going to go the rest of my life, I know that when Jesus Christ returns and my Savior comes with my reward, I will then be totally saved from this trial. My prayer is that you remove it now and remove it quickly. But through it all, let me continue to trust in you. You're my rock. You're my hiding place. You're the one that I come to for all the help that I need. God's desire for his children is that they grow in their trust and reliance on him. So faith in God doesn't mean that we trust him to work things out our way. It means we trust him to work things out his way. So sometimes when we pray to God and say, okay, God, here's the way I want you to work this out. Step one, two, three, four, and five, and I'll be great. God says, no, my will trumps your will. My will is better than your will. In fact, my will, the scripture says, is perfect. My will is perfect in your life. So what we need to pray for is God, I'm putting this matter in your hands. You're going to work it out perfectly. 
I pray for help, but I'm trusting in you. So let me repeat that again. Faith in God doesn't mean we trust him to work things out our way. You know, in my earlier years as a Christian, I used to pray that a lot. Father, (laughs) I'm in a trial here. I pray for your help and rescue. And here's the way I want you to do it. (laughs) Okay. And his reply to me was, you got it wrong, young Christian. What you should be praying for is for me to work it out my way, because my way is the best. And that's what he will do. So we trust him to work things out his way, which is always the best way. And you know what? He will do that. We have his word, and we can put our trust in that. So that's what it means to have faith. It's not all about us. It's all about God. But like I said, when Jesus returns, he wants to find faith. And our prayer is that he will find that faith in our lives and in the lives of all Christians. Faith is a wonderful gift that he's given us, but we have to exercise it. And one of the chief ways that we exercise it is through trials. So instead of getting into a bad attitude and blaming God for this and that, let's put our trust and hope and confidence in him. We have his promise on it.